Hey guys, just wanted to take a minute to thank you, the listener, for listening and proving that you have a growth mindset. Our mission is to curate information from top influencers around the world. We provide you with real, actionable steps on how to improve in every and any area of your life, whether you own your own business, you're a C-suite executive, or just starting your journey of self-development. Professional development is all about growth. And you know that if you're not growing, you're dying. If you enjoy this content, please help us by helping others and liking, sharing, and subscribing. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to the Professional Development Podcast. Today is Wednesday, April 28th. This is episode number 35. Today, we have on a uh, a very special guest, a hometown guy, Ben Newman, highly regarded performance coach, international speaker, and best-selling author. His his clients consist of Fortune 500 companies, business executives, sales organizations, and professional athletes in basically every sport. He is the mental conditioning coach for the Alabama Crimson Tide football team. Uh, Influencive.com named him one of the top 10 motivators in sports. Real Leaders Magazine named him as a top 50 speaker in the world in 2019 and 2020. And to top it off, he once bought me lunch because we worked in the same building and I wouldn't stop <laughs> bothering him. Ben, thanks for being here. Matt, it's, uh, it's great to see you. It's great to be in the same room at, uh, you know, STL family. We all, we all tend to stay together and you guys have done a hell of a job with the podcast. I mean, the guests that <clears throat> you guys have brought on to Andy Frisella and I'm not going to hint at anything that's coming up, but you guys have really done an incredible job. And I feel our city has so many unbelievable stories that need to be told. Yes. And, you know, a lot of times people will say that through that, you know, I'll go on an interview like, that person's from St. Louis and that person's like, what's going on in St. Louis? And so we must have good water in the Mississippi. Something, yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. That's what I find fascinating too about a lot of the players that end up playing in St. Louis. They end up staying because they just love it so much. Yeah, and, and they retire, they raise their families. I mean, it's St. Louis. And they can live wherever town. they want. Yeah, you know? like <laughs> they stay here. So. Yeah. Yeah. And you're about to get out of St. Louis here shortly. You got a pretty busy schedule coming up. What's going on in your life? Well, for me, you've got uh, NFL draft coming up in the next couple of days. And uh, it, it, it's always busy for me, you know, whether I'm on a construction site or doing a keynote presentation, which those are coming back contrary to what many people think. Yep. Uh, I was actually in Hubbard, Texas yesterday on a, on a construction site. And so, yeah, you know, football is in full swing. I mean, I've already had two visits to Alabama this year. I've had two to Kansas State this year. A lot of people don't realize these guys don't really get much time off. So it, it's constant motion, but that's the way that I like it. Cool. Well, again, we appreciate you coming on. Um, I'm sure a lot of people, because we referenced your content a good amount, a lot of people know who you are. But before we dive into who Ben is and what he does, uh, I think it's the pretty obvious move here to start with your mom, who kind of taught you how to live, taught you how to fight, taught you how how to rise up when things get incredibly difficult. So that said, can we just dive into your purpose and, and why you wake up so early every day? I'm glad, I'm glad that we're starting there because, you know, you highlighted all of these things about me, but the reality is it's the tough stuff I've been through in my life that has given me the opportunity to speak and given me the opportunity to connect with a football player, right? Yep. Maybe it's a, it's a young lady who is running an unbelievable business as an entrepreneur, right? So it's the connection comes from the challenge and adversity, not from the resume that you build. Right. And so my core has always been in my connection to fighting to be the best that I can be every single day. Because that's what my mother did when she was dying from a rare muscle disease called amyloidosis. So each and every single one of you, everybody listening, we have amyloids in our muscles. If you have an excess of amyloids, you'd have a disease called amyloidosis. So my mom was a teacher here in St. Louis, raising two boys, fighting to make ends meet. Parents were actually divorced at six months old, so I never knew my parents together. Right. And so for, right, it's relatable yeah, to so too. many people. And so... 
my parents divorced, and then my mom, a few years after the divorce, is diagnosed with this rare muscle disease called amyloidosis. And my mom was a teacher, maybe like you guys used to have in school. I mean, she'd walk into a room, and she had this amazing energy and big brown eyes, long brown hair, loved her students, students loved her. My older brother and I adored her. I mean, just even the way that she would tuck us in at night, right, is the way she'd read a book, the way she'd do the blankets, and then all of a sudden, your mom is diagnosed with this disease, where she's faced with the decision, which really her doctors made for her, you're either going to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota or you're going to Boston. There's nobody else in the country treating this disease. Even to this day, most people have never heard of it. So her doctors chose Boston. My mother goes to Boston, meets with a woman by the name of Dr. Martha Skinner. And Dr. Skinner proceeded to tell my mom, you're only the second woman under 40 years old I've ever seen or heard of having this disease. And they gave my mother two to four years to live. <clears throat> and so for everybody listening, I, I, I want to pause, call a quick audible as I share my story, I want everybody to think about their story. I'm not the only one that has a story. Everybody listening has a story of challenge and pain. And I found often when we're willing to address it, be transparent, be vulnerable with our pain, that's actually where we find our greatest strength. And so my mom meets this doctor and Dr. Skinner gives her that news. And my mother's response, which has now taught me that how we choose to respond to challenge and adversity ultimately determines the story you write. She took out an old blue mead notebook, which became a journal, and she wrote, beat the statistics, beat the odds, live with a disease that is chronic and fatal, believe in yourself, combat anything, purpose in life. So that was my example. Yeah. yeah. Right? So my example was a woman who's given two to four years to live, has no idea how long she's going to live, and she's talking about beating the statistics and having great purpose in life. And her purpose was to continue to lead her two boys. Even when we had 24-hour nursing care in our house, I remember when the hospital came into the house, took my mother's belongings out of her TV room, re replaced it with 24-hour you know, nursing care. Mother would come to the dinner table with an IV stand to literally sit at the head of the dining room table and to ask my brother and I how our days were at school. So my, my mother is the greatest champion of life, greatest fighter, taught me about passion and conviction. And even though she passed 11 days before my eighth birthday, there are so many lessons that I still live by today owning the opportunity every day, winning every day. I didn't refer to it that way as a seven-year-old kid, but you learn over time from other people's challenge and adversity and how they responded that that's how winning is done in life because we never know how many days we actually have. Yeah, I, and I find that super cool. And I think you might've spoken to it before a little bit. I, I'm always interested in like the legacy people want to leave behind. And for you, it's more or less that you're leaving your mom's legacy behind. Like something that you you nurtured from when you were almost eight years old to now is all in your mom's name, essentially. So there's a bracelet on my uh, right hand here, <clears throat> for those of you that won't see video, but you're listening, and it's a, it's a black band that says legacy on it. And so I've worn it for years and years and years and years. I've written a book called Leave Your Legacy. And it's a fable, but within the book, some of my mother's story is told. So people who know the intricacies of my mother's story know that the characters I've created, many of which were St. Louisans that impacted my life, yep. you know, comes out in that form. But legacy is very important to me because I feel each and every single one of us, we have a story to write. Many people become fearful of living the life that they were supposed to live for whatever reason. I had a coaching client yesterday. We were actually, you know, we were going back and forth and I sent him a text. I said, do you fear success? Because he's had, he's had these periods of time where he's really driven great success. And then it's like, man, like we fall off this wagon. I'm like, look, we're talking all the time. Like, how do you keep falling off this wagon, right? Yeah. And I asked him that question. He's like, I've never been asked that question. He's like, I think I fear success. And so I think sometimes whether it be, you know, moving beyond the example that maybe your parents provided, 
moving beyond the example that somebody provided, whatever it might be. I think so many of us, and I try the best I can, and I still have two coaches. So as everybody listens, like I don't have this thing figured out. I got two coaches. I read books every day. But I'd love for us to have a takeaway because I know you guys with the podcast, you're all about action. It's not just, hey, let's have a great conversation. Yeah. Like give yourself permission. Like everybody listening, like something that you've been saying no to for whatever reason, fear, doubt, uncertainty, give yourself permission like right now. Stop making excuses for why you're not going to move forward and find that internal fire, that burn that I like to call it, like I have for my mom and choose to give yourself permission to get after it and recognize that great success takes time. It's not done overnight. I've been doing this for 15 years. People reach out to me all the time. Like, oh, I, like, can you get me into speaking in Alabama? I'm like, I started speaking to sports teams in 2011 for my high school. Like, <laughs> I've been doing this a little while. Yeah. Like, you don't just think you have a great message and you come to Alabama. Saban will throw your ass out of that building faster than you can walk in it. Like, oh, yeah. It, it takes a while, you know, to go through that process. Yeah, and you say it, it's, uh, success isn't created in a day. It's not even created in a year, right? Because once you experience a little bit of success, it should never stop. And the, the goal should be to get better. One of the one of my favorite lessons of yours, um, I find myself always going back to, is the su seduction of success. And I remember this story, and I'm just going to give the cliff notes because I want you to talk about it. But you were at Northwestern Mutual, you were uh, top two percent in the entire company. That's out of over ten thousand people, a Fortune 100 company, right? And then all of a sudden, you got hit by this seduction of success. So talk to us about that story, and then tell us um, how people can avoid that. Yeah. So. The, the the seduction of success, I have found, is the key to the highest performers, right? Whether it was time that I had the blessing of spending with Jerry Rice when I asked him, Jerry, what makes you great? And he said, man, you know what I've never understood? How could somebody not give 100% when it's 100% their choice, right? Well, Coming from the, one of the yeah. greatest athletes to ever walk the face of the earth. Such a simple statement, though. But so like, simple, yeah. yet so profound. And he actually went on after we shared the stage, after he made that comment in the green room, <clears throat> before we took the stage, he actually had made the comment to the crowd. He's like, if I had 180 yards and two touchdowns on Sunday, I was the first person in the building on Monday breaking down game film to figure out, did I miss a block that was going to spring Roger Craig forward for another touchdown? Did I miss a route where Joe Montana didn't have the opportunity to hit my 80? Right? And so the highest performers, they want more. They crave more. I found that in business as well. I've also had to go back to my example in 2010, which you're alluding to, where I had gotten seduced by success. You know, it was that, that classic story where you wake up, you set your big goals for the year, we're six months in, and I mean, I was killing it. And I call my wife, and I was still, I was speaking and writing and doing those things, but I was running two full-blown businesses. I had team members and staff on both businesses, and like, so I, one day I might be speaking and writing, the next day I'm doing somebody's, you know, financial work or insurance, and so we're six months into the year, I had this big goal to do 500, I'll keep it easy for all the listeners who maybe don't understand insurance sales, $525,000 in sales was my goal, which was a really big goal. You'd be in the top 2%. And we were six months into the year and I was at $310,000 of business that was paid for. So like, you're ahead of the game. I had a new book that had already come out. I'm speaking. So you're doing all these things. I'm driving down the street and I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, babe, I am on fire, right? Like, <laughs> We're getting a new house. Okay. All right, everybody listening, stay humble and hungry and don't ever do anything like that, right? <laughs> so here, like, I'm sharing these messages. I was already coaching. I've been coaching since 2008. I had already been teaching people prize fighter days, yet I was choosing not to live the things that I was teaching because I was seduced by the success that I was having. 
And the next thing you know, the insurance business can be a nasty business because in the insurance business, you can sell something. And when you sell it, if I sell Matt a policy and all of a sudden there's something uh, where there's a health issue that comes up, they're taking that money back. They will give you your money up front if you decide to stop paying your premiums. The money that they've paid me in commission, I got to pay that back to the company. Oh, damn. So here, I had gotten off to this great start. The second half of the year, I ended up selling another $190,000 of business. So 190 plus 310. I mean, you're banging on the door of the big goal that I had. But I had $175,000 of business I had to pay back to the company. Ooh, that hit. So I was netting 50. You couldn't pay the damn bills in my house. Luckily, I was speaking, writing, and coaching, and there was some of that supplemental income. I would have been in massive trouble. Yeah. Massive trouble financially. And it, I mean, I was hit financially in a bad way. I had to write back-to-back paychecks back to the company that I worked for that were the size of NFL game checks. Back-to-back. My last check of October of uh, 2010 was an NFL game check, and my first paycheck of November was an NFL game check. And I remember my accountant, he calls me and he's like, Ben, we, I, I need to talk to you about something. You know, we're, we're reconciling your books. He's like, I, I've, I've never seen this. I've been doing accounting for, you know, 15 years. Are you wandering he, he said, money? He says, you're, you're paying money back to the company that you work for. Like, and it's not small amounts. Like, yeah. what's going on in here? <laughs> what is this? Because I had really gotten lucky in the business. I had never, you know, a lot of people, these reversals in the insurance, it happens all the time. Here I started in the insurance business in 2004. I'd never had a negative paycheck. And so there were a lot of blessings that happened as a result of that situation. Number one, I became humanized in the business. I had gotten off to a very fast start. That's why I was invited to speak back in 2006 the first time. That's how my speaking started. And it it wasn't that I didn't experience adversity, but when you face what I faced with my mom, I was able to reframe a no and just keep moving. Yep. But if somebody stops paying their bills or they have medical issues, like there's some things that like no matter how but you want to reframe, like you feel trapped financially. <clears throat> and a lot of times, I don't talk a lot about money, but when you get trapped that way financially and you're paying that much money back, and then you still had to pay your bills in that month, the amount of money in that <clears throat> four-week period of time when you take what I paid and what I gave back, I mean, it takes a while to recover from something like that. Yeah. And <clears throat> so it was a very hard period of time. You get nasty, you get aggressive, your mind goes to, to bad places. And I remember calling my coach at the time. You guys can foreshadow it later if you want. But uh, I called my coach at the time. His name was Dr. Jason Selk. And I remember I was sitting in a, in a uh, St. Louis Bread Company parking lot. People listening around the country. I know you guys call that Panera Bread. Panera. But back yeah. home, well, that's St. Louis Bread. That's, that's right. still St. Louis. Got your coffee cup right there. That's St. Louis Bread. Everybody needs yeah. to remember where it started. That's true. And so I'm sitting in the Panera, for those of you listening around the country, Bread Company. And I remember I left a very colorful voicemail for Dr. Selk around just my just how angry I was at this business. Why am I doing this? I could do speaking, writing, and coaching. I'm fed up with this. And I remember he called me, calls me back. And essentially, I mean, he put me in my place and I needed it. <clears throat> I needed it. And he basically said that the gist was, you need to stop your complaining. You need to stop making excuses right now, right now. He says, how often do you dial in the telephone? I'm like, Jason, like, stop, what? how many times a day are you dialing the telephone? And I said, I don't know, eight. He said, all right. He said, well, how many times per day do you need to dial the telephone to be able to look yourself in the mirror and say, I gave it my best today? I'm like, I don't know, it'd be 20. He said, so you're averaging eight. Your best is 20. 
and you're bitching to me that you hate the business, are you currently in a state of mind to even have the right to bitch about where you are in the business? And I started getting testy. Like, I'm not going to talk to you about dials. He's like, well, why? Why wouldn't you? He goes, you're not doing what you need to do, right? So sometimes we even fight, like I mentioned earlier, giving yeah. ourselves. So here I am, I'm, I'm teaching these principles yeah. and I'm fighting them <laughs> yeah. while I'm going through this financial pain as if he's crazy or something, yeah. right? So I'm teaching these things. I'm so cloudy because the negativity was draining me, even losing my mom. This was like the most troubling financial period of time in my life professionally. It was awful. And finally, by the end of the conversation, he got me to recommit to do, I call them POCs, a point of contact, text message, email, phone call. He got me to recommit to the 20 and I never looked back. Yep. And it was literally that phone call. I, I look back on that day and I'm so grateful that I've believed so much in my life to have coaches and to have those individuals who are there who tell you what you need to hear. Like if anybody has a mentor, and I, I don't want to knock anybody's mentor, but if you have a mentor who just always tells you how great you are, like keep that person as a loving friend in your life, but you need a new mentor. Yep. Like right. you need a mentor that like tells you like, hey, you need to correct this. Hey, you could do this better. Hey, chill out, have fun and smile. Like enjoy the ride. Right. And I've, I've heard, I give those as examples because I've heard those things from mentors in my life. And so I think it's important for us that we remember that, you know, you, you got to have those mentors and people who really challenge you. For sure. Yeah, no, that's amazing. So you've had some pivotal moments that uh, have created <clears throat> mental toughness, I guess you could say. And you actually created your mental toughness playbook. Um, and so I did some Googling and, and whatnot, and I tried to find a definition of what is mental toughness. And just curious, how do you define it? What did it? you find? Let me... I actually found that there's not a, a set <clears throat> definition for it. I would agree it. with that. So, you know, and in terms of how you would define it, do you have a definition? Yeah, so mental toughness to me is your ability to get back up one more time than you've been knocked down. Right? I mean, if you think of the time, everybody listening for, for me, because I'd love this to feel really like one-on-one -on -one coaching and for the three of you as well. Think of a period of time where you went through challenge and adversity, and as tough as it is, you felt weak, like I do not want to move forward. Were you mentally tough in that moment? No. No. <laughs> now go back to a moment where you were hit with challenge and adversity, and something in that moment was different. You were wired differently in that moment, and you said to yourself, I'm clearly connected to what it is that I'm fighting for. I'm getting up. I don't like the period of time I'm in right now, but there's nothing I can do about it. There's no sense in tripping on anything behind me. I need to keep moving, so I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep moving. That, to me, is mental toughness. Yep. Yeah. When we succumb to our feelings, I always talk about standard over feelings. Don't allow your feelings to dictate how you show up. Continue to dominate the standard every day. When your standard is, I'm going to connect to my burn, I understand the work, I'm going to do it every day, and when things don't go my way, maybe I have to call my mentor, maybe I have to call my coach, but I'm getting up off this mat of life and I'm going to keep moving. That, to me, is mental toughness. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a great way to look at it, and I think we, were, we did a podcast where we talked about Ed Milet, and he said it's the easiest way to build self-confidence is just by keeping small promises to yourself, right? Whether it's little daily activities that you say that you're going to do or whatever it is. Uh, and actually, so I was listening. Can I mention something about Ed real quick? Yeah, he, he and I were actually texting this morning. Yesterday was his 50th birthday, so I was joking with him. I will. Uh, actually, can we grab his number so we can text him? <laughs> yeah. We'd love to wish so, him happy birthday. He actually, so Ed, Ed wrote the foreword for my next book, which comes out oh, in cool. August, called Uncommon Leadership. And yeah. so Ed and I have developed this special relationship through Andy Frisella. And I just, I, I admire Ed. I admire how he shows up in life. But he just turned 50, and that dude is making 50 look damn good. He is. Yeah. Because he consistently shows up and does what he says he's going to do. And I think there are a lot of people in the space that I operate in who they they talk one game. And or really anybody, even outside of coaching and speaking, 
people have a tendency to tell you how great they want to be. But then when we have a conversation with their action, that's when you find out the real story. And I just, I love highlighting Ed because he really is a story of somebody who here's what I'm going to do and then watch me go do it. Yep. And then after I've done it, I'm going to teach other people how I did it because I want to be a blessing to the world. And he's a very strong Christian man, which a lot of people don't know. And, you know, I was born Jewish, got baptized. Now I'm a Christian. And so when I see a walk of faith that that's, that's that significant yep. and I see how he chooses to show up, I mean, that's just an absolute inspiration to me. Yeah. And I'm about halfway through his, uh, his book right now, which is a short read, but it's simple, not easy, but profound. I've read it three times. It's and, so good. And he talks all about morning routine. And I really feel like a lot of high achievers like pride themselves on their morning routine. I know you have a very set morning <laughs> routine that's a, a little extreme for most. Uh, but honestly, obviously the, the results are are in it right there. So can you talk to us? Tell us about your morning routine. Well, first off, I've never claimed to have all of my screws tightened, right? <laughs> so I, I might have a few screws that are loose. <laughs> Uh, and my, my, my wife can attest to that as well. So she has a tendency to send me articles on, you know, the importance of sleep. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'll wake up sometimes and there'll be an article waiting for me. I'm like, honey, you're supposed to sleep. It's a good thing for you. I did the math after I found out when you go to sleep and when you wake up. And I was like, how the fuck? Does yeah. he? That's crazy. But yeah, yeah, but talk to us about that. So but before I share this, I, I want to preface this with two things. I've actually done like the behavioral diagnostic tests where they, they can actually determine, like some people have higher energy units than other people. And so I guess God is testing me to see how much I can do in a day. And so he blessed me with high energy units. Yep. And they say when you have those higher energy units, you actually don't require as much sleep. <clears throat> but I want to be careful when people hear this. Because I think it's very important that they don't think, oh my gosh, I'm just going to stop sleeping. Which I typically probably on average get about five or five and a half hours of sleep. So it's not, it's not nothing, okay? But it's not seven or eight hours like a lot of people claim they, they have to have. And some people do need that. Yep. <clears throat> the other thing I want to share is there's a reason why I wake up that early. Okay, in my world, for people to better understand, for me to frame this correctly, before COVID, I was traveling 70 to 80 times a year to speak. So, I mean, every week I was somewhere speaking. I was either with this team or I was with that team or I was coaching this player, you know, working one-on-one -on -one, or I was giving a keynote. I was somewhere every week. And most weeks it was multiple cities. Every week, which means that's a lot of time away from family. And my children and my family are so important to me. And so when you're gone that much, I did not want to be, and I'm not knocking any fathers who work out at different times or leave in the morning while the kids are getting ready. But I, I want everybody to understand my schedule. I don't want people to be like, oh, well, he's saying that I, I shouldn't be doing what sure. I'm doing. But when you're away that much, like when I'm home, I'm not going to not be there in the morning when the kids are up. I'm not going to not take them to school. <clears throat> I'm not going to, I already miss so much as it is, right? Because of the sacrifice to serve others with the career that, <clears throat> that I feel has been a huge blessing in my life. So as a result of that, the pitter-patter of my kids' feet, luckily they're starting to sleep in a little bit. So maybe I could move it back, <laughs> but I keep getting busier. So typically it's around 6.30 in the morning. So 6.30 in the morning, I need to, this is me. This is me saying I need to be completely done with my routine. Well, my morning routine consists of a lot, right? All the way from I know how much water I'm going to consume in the morning. I know I'm going to put my head in a book that's very important to me. My social media posts for those that follow me on Instagram, which is at Continued Fight, which is probably the most popular, though that's me. Like, that's me every morning putting out the post. Nobody's doing that for me. Like, I want to give of myself, like, what's in my mind so I can inspire somebody else. I want to give to the world early on. <clears throat> I then read books every single morning. 
Sometimes I'll watch a documentary. That's my quiet time. I, like, I love learning about people and their stories, right? This morning, uh, Najee Harris, another Alabama player who's going to get drafted uh, tomorrow night, should go in the first round. I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers should take him. But Najee and I have been very close, and we've worked together for three years, and he's got an amazing um, documentary, and episode three came out last night, and so I wanted to watch his documentary this morning. So I've given myself time to do some of those things that during the day or once the kids get up, I don't have that time to do it. Then I get my workout in. So there's a process of doing all these things, get my nutrition in my body, paying attention to what I eat. Everything that I do requires me to wake up at 2.24 in the morning which a lot of people hear that, and, and now you realize maybe I do have a couple screws loose. <laughs> but for me, I'm willing to make the sacrifice of a little bit of sleep in order to know that, like, my routine this morning was done. I woke up my kids. I was able to take the dogs out. I was able to make my kids breakfast. I took both of my kids to school. Yep. Right? So I was, I'm able to build a calendar that gives me balance in my life. I think there's a lot of people who it's an absolute cop-out. They say that balance doesn't exist, especially coaches and speakers that do the work that I do. And I don't want to knock other coaches and speakers, but I think as a leader, we have to be an example for the people that we're leading. So if I'm making excuses, how am I going to be able to hold you accountable? Yeah. You would have said, well, morning routine's important. Yeah, but you know, I only do it a couple days a week. You know, Matt, this morning, what I actually did was I woke up late, skipped my workout, didn't do my social media, ate the fattest stack of pancakes you've ever seen, extra syrup, right? It was gluttonous. Right. And then I took my kids to school, canceled my first call, but I was on time to get to the studio today. You'd go, wait a second, like you're holding people accountable. And so I think it's important that we do the things we say we're going to do, but also build a routine and create an environment that causes you to have balance in your life. We actually did a podcast uh, two episodes ago, just him and I, where we talked about standard and we talked about you on that podcast. But it's also, if you hold yourself to a standard and then hold other people to a standard, and then you break that standard, they somewhat would lose respect for you, I think is what you described a little bit. I, I don't say this to impress anybody. It's to impress upon the point. When I go to Alabama, this is kind of a tradition my first year at Alabama. So this is my fourth season working in Alabama. My first year at Alabama, one of the tight ends after practice, after practice, a lot of the you know tight ends, they're big guys. They love to go and lift a little bit. They're like, come on, get in the cage with us. They're like, Let, let's, let's push some bench press. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I got under the bench press and they were just like, what the hell? Like I was lifting with the tight ends from Alabama after practice. The level of respect that they then had for me that I'm putting in my work was completely different. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So for me, it's important that I'm pushing myself. I, I've never had the athleticism to play professional football or play at the University of Alabama, but I could put in the work yeah. to be able to, you know, get some reps in with the guys and yep. let them yeah. know like I'm willing to sweat with you. Yeah, Because if you've got troubles that are going on, whether it's with your girlfriend or it's a class or it's something on the field mentally, I want you to know you can call me for anything and I'm going to be in the fight with you. I'm not going to stand on the sidelines with a donut and tell you that I understand what you're going through. And the respect that you probably gained just from doing a couple of reps on that bench press like probably lasted forever. You're probably like that, that myth of, you know, Ben will get down there. And you said you do it every year now, right? I do it every practice that I'm there. I'll oh, get wow. in there. It's, it's typically the tight ends. And, you know, even maybe we'll do some curls sometime. Yeah. Or maybe it's some bench press. And maybe it's only 10 or 15 minutes. But the reality is I love it. It's like yeah. a bonding thing with those players. It's like, this is cool. Like, we're breaking a sweat together. And it's a, it's a completely different relationship. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't want to get too long-winded on this, but it was an absolute trip. Tyron Woodley and I, who's another St. Louis and that uh, you guys need to get on, on the podcast. His story is just amazing. And, you know, one of the things I love about Tyron is he silences the critics. You know, Tyron's big lesson that's actually in the book is small circles create big damage. 
And, you know, people get so short-sighted. He's one of the greatest welterweight champions to ever walk the face of the earth. Held that welterweight belt in the UFC for four years. He lost a handful of fights in a row, but the reality is the guy's got a Hall of Fame resume. Yeah, exactly. Right? And yeah. he's now, as a result of the resume and speaking 70 times to schools after the Michael Brown shooting and things that he's done, he's built a platform to provide for his kids for the rest of his life. Yep. Yeah. So it's not always about the wins and the losses. And so Tyron and I, we were going to speak at Kansas State, right, to help kick off the offseason training. And we showed up and Tyron and I were talking and Tyron's like, okay, so what's the breakdown of our schedule? I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to speak tonight and then you're going to speak tomorrow and then or tonight as well. And then tomorrow is the first run of the offseason. He's like, we're running with them. Or he said, I'm going to run with them. I'm like, you're running with these guys? And he's a professional athlete, right? And I'm like, oh, shit. Now I, I got to run. Tyron runs like... <laughs> How does Tyron run and I don't yeah, run? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so all week? of a sudden, we wake up the next morning and literally the equipment guy, okay? So Al, Al Serby from Kansas State, Al's amazing. Al literally has cleats waiting for us. I mean, I had all my, I, my gear, you know, for my locker, but they're, I, I mean, they got Tyron and all his Kansas State gear. And I literally went through the entire workout with the players. I mean, running gassers, everything. I have no idea. Coach Kleiman, who I've worked with for seven <laughs> years because we were together at North Dakota State, and then he brought me with him to Kansas State. He literally, during part of it, when there's a little break, he's like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, you are not going to be able to walk tomorrow. I'm like, coach, I don't even know what God is doing right now, but my body can't move like this, and my body's moving like this. And I, I share the story for a couple of reasons. I was so uncomfortable in that moment. I literally, like halfway through, there was nothing left. I mean, there was nothing. I had no business doing this workout, running these sprints. I, had, I hadn't run sprints like that probably since high school. Yet I pushed myself because I wanted to be an example. I pushed myself because I wanted the guys to know I was in the fight. And I'm going to teach everybody a, a mental training tool. <clears throat> when you are in the middle of pain and you feel like you can't go any further, this is the importance of connecting to that burn that lies inside you. And this is beyond just for professional athletes or collegiate athletes that I work with. This goes for the individual who says, I've been lazy on my workouts, I'm gonna get back into it. I know what that's like. I work with people in corporate America that have lost 60 pounds, 70 pounds, 80 pounds. When they got back into working out, they did not wanna do it. It was hard, but they had to connect in the same way that I had to in this moment and professional athletes do. You connect to your burn or the reason why the hell you're gonna do it. You connect and give yourself perspective of somebody who sacrificed for you or been an example for you in that moment, and you recognize the pain you're experiencing is not that bad. I call that reframing. It's a shift of our perspective. So if you can picture this, <clears throat> we're done with the workout. I thought we were done with the workout. And all of a sudden, the strength coach goes, all right, we got gassers for all the stuff that you guys screwed up. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh, dear God. Like, how do I get out of this, right? Like, I'm done. I literally had pushed on the final runs to like, I had nothing left in the tank, nothing. Yeah. And he's like, we got gassers. And he goes, this group's got two, this group's got four, this group's got eight. That's the worst group. And I'm like, well, shit, I got to do eight. <laughs> right? You can't yeah. do two and be like, well, I did a couple. I, yeah. If I did it, they're going to be like, well, like, cause these kids could hold on to anything, right? Well, you did the workout, but dude, you didn't hang yeah, in with exactly. the gassers. <laughs> so I literally looked down at the sideline and I, I, I literally, I pictured this guys. I pictured my mom. I pictured my mom with an IV stand. I mean, it makes me so damn emotional. I pictured myself, my mother, with that IV stand in that moment. And I said, how the hell can I not run these eight gassers? My mother came to the dinner table with an IV stand, asked me how my day was at school. <clears throat> and I wish I had videotape of it, but I beat more than half of the players on those gassers, and I finished all eight. 
And once again, I don't say that to impress anybody. I still, to this day, when I look back on it, my body hurt for damn days. <laughs> yeah. And I told Coach, I'm like, I don't know how I'm walking out of this place. But I was able to connect because I controlled my mind. And back to giving yourself permission. Give yourself permission to fight through the pain. Give yourself permission to get back on the train of great nutrition. Give yourself permission to get your ass back in the gym and get your habits back in check. We all can make excuses, but we all have it within us to build great strength. Yeah, I think that's an incredible story. And and I think, Brad, you're at, it might be a good time to ask because we, Brad and I listen to a bunch of your podcasts and it's purpose. And I understand purpose and like connecting to that. But Brad, what did you have on that? So I, I understand your burn, your burn and your job is to go and to talk to these people in business, these people in sports and to find their burn. And they're coming to you because they don't, they don't have that burn yet, right? So what are the steps that you take for somebody to find their purpose? I'm so glad that you asked this question because uh, sometimes in, a, in an effort for my answers to get not too long, right? I, I forget a couple details. And so I forgot this piece. <clears throat> I would hope that what I saw with my two eyes before I turned eight years old that you guys haven't had to go through. But we all have a story. We all have challenge and adversity. <clears throat> but I would never wish it upon anybody. And a lot of times when you share it, people say, especially, you know, collegiate athletes, you know, because I work with so many, I've never been through anything like that. You know, some have been through some serious challenges. But some, I, ben, I don't know. I don't know what my burn is. Or maybe it's a <clears throat> young advisor for a financial firm that has me doing motivational work and performance coaching for their entire organization. Ben, I don't know what my burn is. I just, I'm not, I've never been through what you've been through. I'm, well, first off, good. <laughs> I hope yeah. you haven't been through what I've been through. And so sometimes I think people think that the burn has to be this challenge or adversity. Like, I'm going to carry on my mother's legacy. That's mine, right? Maybe that motivates you for a few days, but we have to find what's actually going to drive you. And so the burn is what actually ignites your why and your purpose that then causes you to take the necessary action to go chase down your peak performance. But your burn could be something temporary. I don't talk a lot about money. I don't talk about a lot of things that are monetary or possessions. If I'm working with maybe a young lady and right now, she wants to buy a house for the first time. And she's killing it as a financial advisor. Her burn might be getting into that first dream home. It might be that I'm going to work so hard. I'm going to do everything that I said I was going to do because I'm buying this home for my family. Yep. Well, then that's a burn. Yep. Right? Because it's going to cause you when you don't want to do it to look down at whatever your sideline is. Like when I was running those gassers, when she stares at the telephone, I don't want to make that dial. She's going to go, I can see myself in that house. I can picture myself in that house. I can't wait for my kids and my husband and I to walk through the doors of that house. I can picture myself with the key. There's this fire that gets inside. It's like, okay, I'm going to pick up the phone. And yeah. so the burn can be things that are material. But if you think about it, yes, that's material, but it's also, I want to provide an amazing home for my family. Yeah. So is it material or is it monetary? It, 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 it's a combination of both. It's probably deeply emotional, even yeah. though it's connected to monetary. But so your burn can be something that's short-term. It doesn't have to be something that's long-term. I love that. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was going to say, do you ever run into people that they have that burn? Let's say it's buy a house and then they achieve it. And now what's the burn? Because now, holy shit, I have what I wanted. This is crazy, but what's next, right? So even though I needed Brad to remind me to, to go over that <clears throat> today through the question, I actually learned it because I wasn't talking about that part of the burn. I would share my story, and part of the time, I just assumed that people knew, okay, when I share that, like, that, you have to know what your burn, like, when you hear how deep emotionally I just went with you, like, it's got to be clear to you, Matt, right? Like, you know what your burn is now, but that's what happens, right? And so I was working with an advisor down in Orlando. His burn, that's why I like giving the house example, his burn, because <clears throat> he was one of those individuals who pushed back on me, very successful advisor for over 10 years, 
And when we had originally said his burn, he's like, I don't have a burn. I've never been through challenge like you, Ben. I just don't know what it is. And I said, well, what are you excited about right now? I am literally building my dream home for my wife. And I've been working harder every day because like every single detail that she wants in this house, I told her, I said, design it exactly what you want. You're going to have everything you want in this house. That was his burn. A year later, I was there. I'm struggling with my burn. I don't know what my burn is, man. I'm just, I said, well, can we talk about something? He's like, yeah. I said, I saw the pictures on Facebook. The house is freaking awesome. I said, that's a great thing. I said, the problem is your burn was getting into that house, right? So that burn is now gone. And so we had to refocus. So even though he knew the burn was the house, this is why people love the importance of having coaches. We all had coaches who help us see the things. Why do I have two coaches? Because they help me see the things that maybe because I'm moving so fast, I'm not paying attention to. So the burn worked, but he didn't reset his burn. Yep. got so excited about the house, he forgot to do it. So these are things that just, as, as a mental reminder for yourselves, if, if this concept of the burn is new to you, set what the burn is. Set maybe a short-term goal, set a long-term goal. But if that burn or you achieve something that's short-term, remember to reset and keep that burn going. I fucking love that because I think everybody thinks when they think about purpose and the burn, that it has to be some grand, like, long-term, I'm saving the world. And it's like, you know, or something like yours, you know, but it's like, but like you said, like people are very fortunate that they haven't been through something like you, but it's okay to have a burn, have a fuel that could be monetary or could be material, right? And then you can even back it with something about the why, like why it's the house to provide for my family or why it's money so I can have freedom or whatever that is. I think most coaches and most people that speak really miss out on that point that it can be short-term. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something in this moment because I, I think it's, it's really important and it's a short-term thing that gets broken down into a year. And because of the timeline, I think you guys are going to be excited that I'm about to share this story. Um, I've been given t- uh, permission to share this story uh, once we kind of got to the draft and we're there, the draft is tomorrow night. <clears throat> but I'm going to share... Um, a conversation, and Mac has given me permission to to share this. So it's Mac Jones, the quarterback from Alabama last year. <clears throat> if you go back three years, there's a picture you can find online where Mac Jones was the third string quarterback when Alabama lost in the national championship to Clemson. You had Jalen Hurts in front of him. You had Tua Tungvaloa in front of him. Mac Jones was third string, probably wondering, will I ever get a chance to start? In that moment, he was already telling himself that he knew one day he'd be the starting quarterback for Alabama. Fast forward to last year. Really had never had a chance to start. Once Tua had gone down two years ago, Mac had the opportunity to come in, really played great, uh, had a phenomenal bowl game against Michigan. But then going into the offseason last year, he was in a battle against a kid named Bryce Young, who will be our starter more than likely this year. There'll still always be competition. And Coach Saban always names those things when he's ready to name those yep. things. I would <laughs> never tell you that he's going to be the starting quarterback. <clears throat> but there's always competition. So going into last season, Bryce Young, who's a star, five-star quarterback out of modern day in California, and Mac are competing. So here, like, you've waited all this time, and now it's like, I still have to compete? I might not get to play? And there's doubters, there's naysayers. I remember Stephen A. Smith was like, Matt, go, you guys can find this clip. Maybe you put it in because it's yeah. hilarious. Who has Matt Jones, like, <laughs> who would start Matt Jones? We could just use that. Right? I mean, literally, it's like, I'm, you're, I'm listening to this, and I know Matt Jones. Like, when, I'm, when I heard that, like, I know Mac. I know Mac's heart. I know the way the kid works. I know his passion for the game. Like, I wanted to grab Stephen A. Smith. Like, Stephen, you don't know. Like, Stephen A., you don't know. <laughs> And in that moment, so that's what you're hearing. You're in a competition. Mac wrote down three goals. 
He wrote down three goals that I'm going to share. It's the first time I've shared this publicly in an interview, but it completes itself tomorrow night. And so by the time this airs, we'll be we'll be good to go. And Mac is Mac's okay with it. Just don't air tonight. <laughs> Just don't, air, <laughs> yeah. don't air tonight. So Mac says that he, he writes down that he's going to be the starting quarterback and win a national championship. He put down that he was going to win the Heisman Trophy. And he put down <clears throat> that he was going to be a draft pick into the NFL. Stephen A. Smith would have, if he knew about him writing down those goals in the middle of a quarterback competition, would have probably said, what about Mac Jones? Mac, like, why don't you come back down to earth? Now, when you unpack those goals, he was the starting quarterback, set damn near every quarterback record in a shortened season, right? Had yep. one of the best seasons in the history of being a collegiate quarterback, leads the team to a national championship with an unbelievable group of leaders and players this year. I mean, it's just a very, very special team. Finishes third in the Heisman Trophy race. He really should have been in front of Trevor Lawrence. He, he and Smitty both had incredible seasons. Heck, Najee should have been <clears throat> third for that award. And tomorrow night, I would, I would my best educated guess, you're going to see him in a San Francisco 49ers jersey. And so you look at those three, they all happened. Yep. So let's go all the way back to how we started today. Give yourself permission. So did Mac Jones live to his excuses or what the world was telling him the truth was? Or did Mac Jones say, I'm going to give myself permission. I'm going to give myself permission to go for it. That is why I love what I do. Yeah. is because it's the blessing of working with a Mac Jones who gave himself permission, and then he went and he chased it down and he did it. Or it's that young business professional who goes and builds that house. And I share these stories. Once again, it's not to impress anybody. It's to impress upon, upon the point. You listening right now, I've just asked you to give yourself permission. I want you to be the next story. Yep. I want you to be next. Why not you to be next? That's why I love sharing these stories. Because if you look at it, these big examples of doing it on the biggest stages in the world, I know that you can do it too. Yeah. And speaking of Mac Jones, uh, so a while back, <clears throat> they had the Your Prize Fighter Day got featured on ESPN. <laughs> uh, and they talked about Mac Jones, how, how he uses it to win his week. So then, like you said, Mac went on to set the single season completion percentage record and then the school record of 4,500 passing yards for the most decorated college football team ever, right? So I guess, um, and like you said, we think he's projected to go third to the 49ers tomorrow. My question is, does Mac Jones owe you, owe you royalties for his contract that he gets for the <laughs> NFL? <laughs> all, all Mac Jones owes me is just being a brother. Yeah. You know, just continuing to love each other and support each other in this fight of life that we're in together. It, it makes me emotional because this is why I do what I do. You know, it, it, it's definitely, it, it's fun when you see these things on ESPN, right? You know, when I ended up seeing the image on ESPN and they're talking about the prize fighter day, because a lot of times what I do for these teams, people have no idea. Yeah. People think that I show up for five minutes, you know, veins start popping out of the neck. <laughs> I give a locker room talk and I'm out. People really have no idea how deep I go with these players all the way from the, maybe it's getting a lift in or some of the conversations that we have, most of which I can't talk about and I wouldn't talk about. Sure. But when they come out into, you know, on screen on ESPN and he's talking about prize fighter days, which I've been teaching for 15 years, it's a very humbling thing to see. But you guys have to remember, I didn't throw a single pass last year. Yeah. I didn't throw a ball to Smitty. I didn't throw a ball to Waddle. I didn't have any handoffs to Najee, right? Mac Jones is an individual who shows up and takes everything that God gives him every damn day. Yeah. And so to me, it's just a blessing that, you know, we have a chance, whether it's a construction company, whether it's a financial firm, whether it's a sports team, that there's some players who have adapted some of the tools that we teach and they've made a big difference in their lives.
And then I know we're getting close to time with you, but I do I do want to know, you've built up so much over the last 15 years. Where are you going to be in 10 more years? What's your goal? What's your, what's your, what's so your my, game my big vision? So I, I have a, what's called a legacy statement and inside of, we're now in our third edition of the mental toughness playbook. It's probably been downloaded a couple hundred thousand times. I mean, it's really <clears throat> prize fighter days are in there. It's, it's really made a, a profound difference for so many individuals. Um, and I'll also provide uh, for your guys show notes, a, a text message number uh, where people can actually text and for having me on the show, we got to keep the St. Louis family, right? Uh, well, we've but- got a free prize fighter day course that I'm going to make sure that everybody has a chance to get. Um, cool. Yeah, but uh, the the mental toughness playbook and all these things, have, at the end of it, there's what's called a legacy statement. And so my legacy statement is part of my morning routine. And the particular legacy statement I read every day completes itself in 2027. So it was written in 2017. So it's, you know, six years from now. And, and it's a culmination of many things. It's it's the daily reminders in there that the success is not rings that I've had a chance to win with a team uh, or, or, you know, helping a guy win a Super Bowl or go to a Pro Bowl or, you know, a business that gets to crosses over a billion dollars for the first time, you know, which is we've had the blessing of things like that happening. For me, I'm, I'm reminded that it's all about the impact. My greatest goal is to serve a billion people. And I recognize that I can't do that alone. I have to do that from somebody who's listening today who decides they're going to start a prize fighter day. And then they go and tell a friend of theirs, hey, go give yourself permission. I know you said you could run a marathon. Go do it. And even though I'll never know, it's serving a billion people. And so that, that's the big goal for me. And uh, I want to share this with you because it's kind of a, a fun story. But I remember I was sharing this with somebody and somebody had asked me, like, how will you know that you hit the billion people? And I said, well, I was on the phone. I was actually with a boxer training him for a fight. And he was a little off in training camp. And so I'm telling him this whole thing. And I said, this bird's going to come down and this bird's going to wink at me. And I said, I'm going to be on a beach, smoking a cigar, drinking a Budweiser. When you're a St. Louis kid, you drink Bud Heavy. And so I'm going to be drinking a Bud Heavy, smoking a cigar. I'm going to be on a beach because I love the islands. And this little bird's going to come down and wink at me. And the wink is going to be the God sending my mom down to let me know you crossed over the billion. I get off the phone and my daughter, who at the time was like four, she looks at me and she's like, Daddy, don't you know that birds don't have eyelids? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, baby girl, this is my story. This is my vision. That bird has eyelids. That bird bird winked at me. (laughs) And so those those are things that I think about is is the real big opportunity to have a massive impact, but reminding myself that I, I won't do it alone. It's the opportunity to do it with great people like yourselves or a Mac Jones or Matt, I know you've mentioned things that have been beneficial for you, the lessons that you've shared on the podcast. Like I haven't heard every podcast that you've done, but to hear that you've utilized some of those tools, that's what drives me, right? It's what I call immeasurable impact. So yeah. thank you guys for what you do. No, absolutely. And I think uh, we obviously had a lot of content for today, which we didn't get through. Uh, so we're just going to have to have you on again. I think. When the book so, releases. When the book releases. When the so book releases, we'll I was do it gonna, again. I was going to say, so we have, um, we have our uh, last segment where we actually include our listeners in yeah. part of that. But before we do that, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your book coming up, Uncommon Leadership. Uh, it references principles that you've learned from Nick Saban, John Gordon, obviously your mom, Andy Frisella. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that or give us a, a peek? Yeah, so the, the book is uh, Uncommon Leadership. You know, the highest levels of leadership, getting to your peak performance is really uncommon, right? You have to start to do things that you don't commonly do. Yeah. And 
It's doing the things that you know you commonly, like the common things you know you have to do, and then doing what I call the unrequired. Those are the little extra things that the highest performers do that other people won't talk about, they don't want to think about, they, they, they don't even, they don't even, can't even go through their mind that high performers make a priority. Yeah. <clears throat> That's the unrequired. That's uncommon to think that way and to take that kind of action. So I wanted to share a book that really highlighted lessons that I've learned from some of the greatest leaders to ever walk the face of the earth. And so it's a 11 ways that the greatest leaders lead. And so there's stories about these incredible leaders and things that have impacted me, things that go through my mind every single day in my walk of life. And I wanted individuals to be inspired by their stories because they've made such a significant impact on my life. And then we were able to tie into the book some of the mental training tools, the prize fighter day and standard over feelings and how those apply to the lessons that these great leaders teach the people that they lead. Yep. Super pumped about that one. Uh, I actually have two signed copies of your book. I've obviously read both of them. So I'm going to be excited when that comes out. That comes out in August? August 3rd. Okay. Yep. And then uh, to help promote it, you want to just go ahead and set something up for September when you come back on? Is that... We can, we can do it August, <laughs> September, whatever you guys want to do. All right. Yeah. Per perfect. So uh, we have a, a segment that's typically called the OnlyFans Inquiry. So we call our, our listeners and our fans the OnlyFans. Okay. Uh, in this case, we actually had somebody, we had somebody write in a story. So yeah. this is the OnlyFans story because we said we had Ben Newman on. We want to give you an opportunity. Um, and this is an interesting one, okay? So this comes from uh, this comes from Lars in Denmark. So we are actually, this is, okay, this is super interesting. <laughs> We're the number 46 ranked business podcast in Denmark right now. They fucking love us over there. Big time. And you guys we don't, need to go to Denmark. We, we need security. Yeah. We're, yeah. <laughs> we can't, We're just, security. can't just go that's, over there. That's actually incredible. So, <laughs> so this, is an, this is a true story. Uh, we actually filtered some of it out because it might have been a little bit inappropriate. Uh, but back in 2017, I was in a golf tournament. And on the 18th hole, uh, everyone from the tournament was gathered around watching. Um, and if we got to the green, so if we shot the green, basically we, we won the tournament. Second place team paid a cart girl, we'll call her a golf cart girl, who was dressed very pro provocatively uh, to jump up and down and shake her tits and ass to distract me. It was very nerve-wracking, but what did I think of when I approached the ball? Not the tits and ass, but Ben Newman. And I said to myself, <laughs> attack the process, attack the process, attack the process. And what did I do? I hit the green, and we won the tournament. This is a true story. Yes, this is a true story. Again, I had to leave some of this stuff out, uh, but swear to God, it's a true story. Yep. Uh, and to be completely honest, it wasn't Lars from Denmark because we say that for a lot, but it right. was a true story that came from somebody that has read and listened to your content that you helped win a golf tournament. That is unbelievable. He didn't want his wife to know this. <laughs> <laughs> that is story. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so I guess that was just a, a thank you from our OnlyFans. Well, I, I appreciate that, uh, you know, my mental training tools can keep you off of those things yes. and keep your mind on your golf game. Yes. Um, so anyway, I mean, I thought that was a fucking fantastic story, but Ben, we covered a lot. I can't wait to cover more. Whenever the book comes out, we appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank That's you. Awesome. Thank you.